This morning, we uh, begin a new series called Life After Life, and uh, we're going to be looking at questions about the hereafter. And I hope that you uh, find this uh, series as encouraging and as hopeful as I have in in preparing for it. Uh, We do uh, just want to remind you that there is a handout, uh, an outline in your bulletin that you can use to uh, follow along, and hopefully you'll find that helpful as well. Uh, I want to encourage you to get a copy of God's Word, and let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and we're going to be looking at the first uh, nine verses of this great chapter, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. For we know that if our earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For indeed, in this house we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven, inasmuch as having put it on will not be found naked. For indeed, while we are in this tent, we groan being burdened, because we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed, so that what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. Now, he who prepared us for this very purpose is God who gave to us the Spirit as a pledge. Therefore, being always of good courage and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. Therefore, we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. Let's pray together. Our Father, we, we praise you that you have chosen to give us such clear revelation about what we face when we die. And we pray that your spirit would open our minds and our hearts to understand it in a greater way than we ever have before. We pray that you would use this understanding to encourage us as believers, to give us the the strength to persevere and endure in this world and to see the things that are truly important. And Lord, I pray that today for those who have never trusted you, who have not made you their Savior, that today their hearts would be drawn to you, that they would be compelled to call upon you and to receive you as their Savior and Lord. Lord, I ask you just to move me out of the way and allow your people to hear what you have to say to them, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. About 10 years ago, a movie came out starring um, Jack Nicholson and Morgan Freeman. And it told the story of two terminally ill men who were uh, traveling all over the place, taking a road trip, doing the things that they'd always wanted to do before they kicked the bucket. And that movie popularized a phrase that 
I wasn't really familiar with before it came out. Uh, the title of the movie is The Bucket List. Now, some of you uh, may have a bucket list. Maybe you have it on your phone or on your computer. You have it written down. Or maybe you just kind of have it, you know, loosely in your mind. Some of those things that you might want to do before you kick the bucket. But one thing is for sure, you hear that all the time now, you know, a bucket list. And, and sometimes people will say, you know, I'm doing this because it was, it's, it's been on my bucket list. Or I'm going here because it's, it's been on my bucket list. And sometimes people tell me, Pastor, you ought to put that on your bucket list. Well, I don't really, I'm sorry, I don't really have a bucket list. Uh, I might ought to get one, but I don't, I don't have one right now. One guy said uh, the first item on his bucket list was don't kick the bucket. <laughs> well, that's not going to happen. Unless the Lord returns, we are all going to kick the bucket. We're all going to die. Now, I want to tell you about something that happened while Jack Nicholson was promoting this movie. He was interviewed for an article by Parade Magazine. And in the course of talking about this, uh, uh, this movie and the topic of the movie, which is, you know, kicking the bucket, uh, and, and what happens when we die, Jack Nicholson begins to speak from his own experience. And, and he's talking about his own personal uh, philosophy. And he said this, quote, I used to live so freely. Uh, the mantra of my generation was, be your own man. I always said, hey, you can have whatever rules you want. I'm going to have mine. I'll accept the guilt. I'll pay the check. I'll do the time. I'll choose my own way. That was my philosophical position well into my 50s. But as I have gotten older, I've had to adjust. Now, you can see that what he's really saying is that early in my life, my philosophy was, I'm going to live life on my own terms. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. And I'm willing to pay the price for doing that. And then near the end of the interview, Jack Nicholson says this, talking about life and death, he said, quote, we all want to go on forever, don't we? We fear the unknown. Everybody goes to that wall, yet nobody knows what's on the other side. That's why we fear death, end quote. Now, as far as anyone knows, Jack Nicholson is not a believer. And so what we're hearing here is the perspective of a lost person on death. What does the Bible have to say? What is a saved person's perspective on death? What happens to Christians when they die, is, is it just, or is there a wall there and, and nobody knows what's beyond that wall? Do we live in fear, not knowing? Well, that's not what Paul says. You notice that in the, this very first verse, Paul says, for we know. We know what happens to a, a Christian who dies. And then later in verse 6, he says, we're of good courage because of what we know. 
And Paul says, death is not something that we have to wonder about. It's not something that we have to be afraid of. The Bible says that we can know what is going to happen after we die. But let me tell you, that is not the case for the vast majority of the world. A recent study from the Barna Research Group shows that most people in America, have a surprisingly traditional view about life after death. And and Barna writes this. He says, quote, Although the lifestyles, values, and self-perceptions of most adults have undergone significant change, and millions of Americans have embraced many elements of a postmodern worldview, the vast majority continues to believe that there is life after death, that everyone has a soul, and that heaven and hell exists. And then he says this, However, more than 50 million adults are uncertain regarding their personal eternal state. If you can imagine, he says... Eight out of ten, 81% of adults say they believe that there is some sort of life after death. It's pretty amazing. Another 9% say they, they think there might be, but they're not certain. Only one in ten, 10% of adults say that there is no life of any kind after death. I'm going to tell you more about this survey as we go through this series, but for for right now, let me tell you that there is, this survey shows that there is incredible confusion, uncertainty, and even contradiction about what comes after death. For instance, Barna says, among those identifying as born-again Christians who believe that they will experience eternal Uh, existence in heaven solely because they have confessed their sins to God and are depending upon Jesus Christ to deliver them from an eternal punishment. 50% contend that a person can earn salvation based upon good works. Another 10% believe that people are reincarnated after death. You see the contradiction here? So what does the Bible say about life after death? Well, that's what we're going to be talking about in this series, Life After Life. In this passage before us today, Paul shows us there are three major changes that occur when a believer dies. First of all, there is a change from the temporary to the eternal. A change from the temporary to the eternal. And verse 1 says this, For we know that if our earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. The Bible presents a very simple comparison. The Bible says that our earthly bodies are like a tent. A tent is a temporary structure, one that you put up and you Take down. It's not designed to be a permanent dwelling place. It's something that you use for shelter when you're camping or when you're traveling. It's just a temporary residence. And the Word of God says our bodies 
are like that tent. They're just, they're just temporary. And that's consistent with even with what, the, what Paul says in 1 Corinthians, where he says that the body is the dwelling of the Holy Spirit. Right? Now think about that, because this, is a, this goes back to the Old Testament, to the tabernacle. Remember the tabernacle? The tabernacle was just a tent. But it was the dwelling place of the presence of God. And it would be put up, and then it would be taken down as the people traveled through the wilderness to the next location. It would be put up, and it would be taken down. And Paul says, our, our lives are like that. We're, we're a place where the Holy Spirit dwells, but it's a temporary dwelling like the Old Testament tabernacle. And look at it one more time. For we know that if our earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down. That's, well, that's, that's another way of saying death. If it dies, what happens? Well, we, we have a building from God. One that's not made with hands, not a tent made out of, of, of something temporal, but an eternal building in the heavens. And that's, a, you know, that's, a, that's an encouraging thought, a building, a house, a structure that's designed to last forever. There's a change from the temporary to the eternal. Now, now when I was, a, when I was a, a kid, young boy, around age 12, I started going camping a lot. I had a friend, he had a tent, and we would go a couple of miles up in the woods behind our house. We would build our fire and shoot our BB guns and tell silly jokes and, you know, sleep out all night and eat junk food. And it was really fun, really fun. So when I was older and we, Karen and I got married and we had children, our children got to be about, you know, 10 or something like that. I thought, you know, it'd be great to take the children camping. So we got a tent and we thought, okay, we'll start out easy. We'll just the backyard, you know, we'll put up the tent in the backyard, put it up there. And we were having fun until I laid down on the um, sleeping bag there in the tent. And I discovered that I have royal blood in my body. I am kin to the princess, you know, the princess that could feel a pee between 10 mattresses, you know. I could feel every root from that maple tree coming out into the yard Every rock, every hump, I just, I could not get, I couldn't find a place to lay. My back was hurting. My pillow was too shallow. I mean, it it just wasn't working. And then it got cold. I'm like, oh, please get daylight, you know, so we can go in. I could, I could endure it, you know, because it was just temporary, you know. And then... I made that mistake of taking them camping, and they really liked it. And they said, Daddy, let's go camping again. All right. We're really doing it this time. We're going to Granny and Pappy's down in Virginia, and we're going to go up in the woods, I mean the real woods, and build a fire and everything. We're going to camp. So we put our tent in there, loaded up our van. We had a rooftop carrier, and I put that tent up there in the rooftop carrier. And we started out to Granny and Pappy's down up this road right here at the interstate, right down here. Oh, 
man, I was in that thing so many times, I forgot to finally latch that rooftop carrier. Started up that hill, and all of a sudden I heard something, and I looked out the back, and there goes the tent out in the middle of the interstate, and there's a big 18-wheeler right behind us. Whoom! I mean, it hits that tent, and that thing's flying up in the air, poles everywhere, they're smashed, that thing's ripped apart. Oh, no, I'm going to, oh, no, you know, there's pull over and look at my tent that's just been ripped apart. I'm going, oh, no, and I said, well, maybe this is not so bad. (laughs) You know, I don't have to go out there laying that on the ground again, you know. But, you know, see, our bodies are like that. They're They're just temporary, and we can endure a lot in this life because we know that this is just a temporary life, that we have something far better for us. We get to go in the house when it's all over. And and my question to you is, do you know personally, do you personally know for sure that you have something better waiting for you when this tent is folded up, when it's torn down? Do you know that for sure? You know, the only way that you can know for sure is to trust Jesus Christ. It's because he died on the cross for you and he rose from the dead, victorious over death. And he has promised you that because he is greater than death, that you can have eternal life. You can have something that is, that is lasting, enduring, eternal life, real life. You know, some of you are here today and you need more than anything else to settle this issue with Jesus. You need to say, Lord Jesus, I know that I have sinned. I know that I have said things and done things and thought things that displease you. And I know that if I were to die, I know that things would not be right between you and me. And I want to ask you to forgive me of my sin. I want to ask you to cleanse me and and give me this eternal life that you have promised. Paul talks about this and this reality in, in, in many places that we have a building from God. We have something better. For for instance, in Philippians chapter three and verse twenty, he says, Our citizenship is in heaven from which we also, listen, eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus. We sang about that this morning. Jesus is coming soon. Who will transform the body, our tent, our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory. This, this tent, this humble tent is going to be transformed from something so temporal, so weak and fragile into something that is the glory of Jesus Christ himself. And he's going to do it by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things. Nobody else can do this. Nobody but Jesus. That's the only hope we really have. It encourages me, see, to know that there's going to be a change. It encourages me when I face pain to know that it's just temporary. It encourages me to know that when I face heartache and heartbreak, that it's just temporary. 
It encourages me to know that when I face grief and sorrow, that it's just temporary. It encourages me to know that when I face sickness, it's just temporary. All those things are temporary, but God has given us something that is eternal. He has given us eternal life. And you receive that eternal life the moment that you trust Jesus as your Savior. Now, that's not fully realized until Jesus Christ comes again. But it begins the very moment. Eternal life begins the very moment you trust him. See, do you understand this? For the Christian, it's really life after life. Because when you trust him, you receive life, eternal life. There's another change that occurs. There's a change from the mortal to the immortal. A change from the mortal to the immortal. And and here Paul likens this this new body that we're going to receive to putting on clothing. Let's look at this in verse, uh, beginning in verse 2. He says, For indeed, in this house we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven, inasmuch as we, having put it on, will not be found naked. But for indeed, we are in this tent. We, what? We what? We groan. Being burdened because we do not want to be unclothed but to be clothed so that what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. Now the Bible says that in this tent, this body that we're living in, that we groan. That word groan is interesting. It's the word stenazo. And it means to, to, to pressure. It means to, uh, to squeeze to the point that you groan. Have you ever been squeezed to the point that you groan? Uh, groan is a, is a, is the, is a physical pain sometimes that we experience, but it can also be an emotional pain that we experience. You know, when I was a kid, I used to hear older people groan when they would get up. You ever hear that? Yeah. And then I would hear that then they would groan when they're walking. And then they groan when they sit down, right? And I would say, you know, I, I'm not going to be one of those people. I'm not going to make those noises when I get older. Never say never. Because, you know, I didn't even have to get that much older to find out those aren't involuntary. Those aren't voluntary noises. Those are involuntary noises. That happens to you when you hurt. You groan. And, you know, young people, you might think... It's not going to happen to you, but you know, you will because our bodies are growing older all the time. Our bodies are wearing out. I can prove it to you. Take your hand like this and take your middle finger there, the knuckle, and just pinch that skin together like that. Just grab a hold of that. Just give it a try. Pinch that skin together like that, and it makes a little ridge come up there. Now, if you're between 7 and 17 years old, well, that's all, it all automatically went right back to where it was before you pinched it. If you're between 17 and 27, it's already probably gradually gone back to where it was. If you're, you know, 27 to, to 47, 
by the time this message is over, it'll be back. <laughs> and if you're 47 or older, just do like this, because if you'll be walking around until bedtime tonight, wait for that to go down. <laughs> That's just the way it is, you know? Our bodies are, are getting older, they're, they're kind of, we're falling apart, and we groan. But you think about, we, there's a groaning that's physical to the physical pains we experience, but there's also a groaning in life to the emotional things that we face in, in this world. Have, have you ever, you know, have you ever um, been doing something that's really tedious and you just want to be done with it, but you have to keep going, and so you just, you stop, and you take a deep breath, and you, and you go back to it, because you got to get it done. Or have you been at work all day long, it's been a rough day, and you come in, and you see that easy chair, and you sit down, and you just flop down, and you go, that relief you see, there's, there's something in our lives, there's something in us that just longs for that relief from the, from the struggles, the, the physical struggles, the emotional struggles of life. And, and the Bible's telling us that, that when, we, when we put our trust in Jesus Christ, we have this eternal life. We, we move from the being in this you know, temporary state. We have an eternal life. In us, and we have the promise of something better that's coming. We have an eternal place, an eternal body that we can look to, and we and we have a a freedom that is going to come from all of the struggles and all the groaning of life. Paul's telling us that there's hope in our hearts that groans, yearns for immortality. And Paul contrasts this like with being clothed with clothing. Now, look at verse 3. He says, Inasmuch as we, having put it on, will not be found naked. Now, Paul uses that word naked very purposefully because the, the Greek philosophy of that day said that, that when the soul would die, that when you died, that the soul was freed from the body and would just go floating around out into the universe and you could become one with the universe. A lot of people believe that today. But see, that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that when you uh, enter into uh, faith with Christ, that there is an eternal existence that's going to correspond to your life right now. In other words, you are going to have an immortal, resurrected body. You're not just going to be floating around as a spirit somewhere. You have a body that is coming to you, and it's going to be given to you when Jesus Christ returns, and he resurrects the dead and then our bodies, our souls that have come out of this body are going to be rejoined to a resurrected, glorified body. Remember one that's made like the glorious body of Christ. There's a coming together. And he calls it like it's like putting on clothing instead of being naked. And, and you see, the moment we die, the moment you die, your soul goes immediately into the presence of Jesus Christ.
But your body remains here. I've done over a hundred funerals here. And I see bodies over and over and over and over. Bodies. The bodies stay here. Body goes into the ground. The body deteriorates. That soul, it's in the presence of Jesus, enjoying all the wonders and glory and splendor of Jesus Christ himself. But there is coming a time when that body is going to come out of the grave when Jesus returns, and that body and that soul are going to be reunited. It's a wonderful, glorious truth. We come from mortal, this body that's mortal to here, it's going to become immortal. Incredible thing. And so that means that when you die, your soul doesn't just go to sleep. Have you heard that term, soul sleep? Some people say that when we die, well, we just lose consciousness until the time that Christ resurrects us, and then we have our glorified bodies. But no, that's not what the Bible says. Other people believe in purgatory. That's a Catholic, te- Catholic teaching that you don't find anywhere in the Bible. And it's a teaching that says that when you die as a Christian, you go to a place called purgatory where your soul is purged. That's the root word of purgatory. Purged from your sin so that you're fit for eternal life with God. Well, friends, listen. That's the whole purpose of Jesus Christ dying on the cross to purge your sins. And the Bible says that you immediately are in the presence of Jesus with your soul. And then you will be clothed with your resurrection body for all eternity. And you will live with him forever and ever. How do we know that's true? Look at verse 5. What is he saying here in verse 5? Now he who prepared us for this very purpose is God who gave to us the Spirit as a pledge. See, when you were saved, Jesus Christ sent his Spirit into your life to dwell in your earthly body. Now, it's an amazing thing. I, I can't figure out how God could ever come and live in this body of mine. You know, I can't, how could he do that? How could holy, eternal God live in someone like me? The only answer is that Jesus Christ has come and he has already covered me, cleansed me by his blood and made me a place where, where the Spirit can dwell. The Holy Spirit's given as a pledge or a guarantee. That word pledge is, it means, uh, earnest money. It's a down payment. The Holy Spirit has been given as a down payment to show that God is truly serious about the promise that he's made. When you put down a down payment or earnest money on a, on a home or some other purchase, it shows your, your, your intent to follow through on your purchase. And God is saying, I'm intent to follow through on this promise of giving you eternal life. The Spirit is given to us as a pledge that, that he will be faithful to his promise. 1 Corinthians 15 is one of the greatest chapters in the Bible on the resurrection. And it talks about the same thing. And Paul says there in verse uh, 51, he says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. Friends, this is a mystery. We will not all sleep, and sleep is a euphemism for death, but we will all be changed. Now mark that. Every believer will be changed from mortal to immortal, from temporary 
to eternal. In a moment, how's it going to happen? In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. How? Remember what he said? Paul says, already told us, by the power that Christ has to subject all things to himself. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised. How? Imperishable. And we will all be changed. And again, he says, we will be changed. Next verse. For this perishable must put on the imperishable. Perishable? We get an imperishable body. And this mortal must put on immortality. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable, and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying, notice, then, then will come about the saying, death is swallowed up in victory. See, Jesus Christ has defeated death. He defeated by his death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave. And he defeats death in the life of everyone who trusts in him. And he will change you from from mortal to immortal. Jesus gave us a promise in, in John 10, 28. He says, I will give eternal life to them and they will never perish. You will never perish. Jesus promises that. You'll go on. You understand that you are going to go on forever somewhere. You are going to live forever with Christ. That's eternal life. Or you are going to die forever apart from Christ. That's what hell is. Hell is simply dying, is death over and over and over. Eternal life is living life over and over. It's an unending life and a, or an unending death. And just like eternal life, eternal death is a reality. In 2006, David Copperfield, the uh, famous illusionist, who once made the Statue of Liberty disappear, bought four islands, uh, tiny islands, in the Bahamas. And he he paid $50 million for those four islands. He thought he got a great deal because he says on one of those islands, he has found the fountain of youth. I'm serious. A, A Rutgers article said this, quote, Copperfield is coy about his reasons for the fountain of youth claim. But the man who's best known for entertaining with grand deception insists that the islands also contain the legendary waters that bestow perpetual youth. Seriously. End quote. Copperfield himself says this. I have discovered a true phenomenon. You can take dead leaves... They come in contact with the water and they become full of life again. Bugs or insects that are near death come into contact with the water and they will fly away. It's an amazing thing. Very, very exciting. End quote. You say, Pastor, do you believe that David Copperfield has really found the fountain of youth? I don't even believe David Copperfield is really named David Copperfield much less that he's found the fountain of youth. But I do believe that there is something in him that longs for eternal life. As in all of us, there is a longing to live 
to live forever. God has built eternity in the hearts of, of man. And you see this, this longing, and, and you have that longing, and God is, His Spirit is speaking to your longing this morning, saying to you, receive this gift. Take this gift of eternal life. You know, all of us want that. Japan's Tomichi Tanabe lived to be 113 years old. And, of course, when you live that old, there are always people asking you, how did you manage to live this long? Well, he attributes his, his long life to the fact that he never drank or smoked and that he drank a glass of milk every day. So be sure and go home, get a glass of milk. But he also says this. At 112 years old, when they did the interview, he was the oldest man alive. And he said this. He said, I don't want to die. Even at 112 years old, we don't want to die. We want to live on. And the only way to defeat death is to trust the one who has already defeated death and come out of the grave. And his name is Jesus Christ. Trust him. There's a change from, from death, at death to the temporary, from the temporary to the eternal, and there is a change from the mortal to the immortal. There's one other change that occurs at death. There's a change from absence to presence, from absence to presence. Let's look at verse 6. Therefore, being always of good courage and knowing that while we are at home in the body, We are absent from the Lord, and to be at home, excuse me, I got that wrong. Therefore, being always of good courage, and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, and to be at home with the Lord. Messed that up, didn't I? Okay, let me read that out of the Bible. How about that? (laughs) Therefore, being always of good courage, and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. From the Lord. Verse 7, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. Now, there are two concepts there. You can see very clearly there's absence and there is presence. And um, the word present in this context means to be present with the Lord, or at home in heaven. To be absent means to be in the body here on earth and to be out of the presence of the Lord. And that's what he's saying. Simply while we are in this body, we are, we are not in the presence of the Lord, the full presence of the Lord. We have his spirit in us, but we don't know that fullness of his presence. But when we leave this body then we will be in a place where we will know the full presence of Jesus Christ. I try to sometimes to imagine what it will be like to, to see Jesus, to be in his presence. You ever try to It's like that song, you know, I can only imagine. We, we can only imagine what it will be like. Because Paul says, right now, we, we know him imperfectly. He says, we, we see as in a mirror darkly. 
See, in those days, they didn't have mirrors like we have. They only had polished metal. So when you looked into it, it, your reflection looked dark and unclear. And you could just, but you could tell, you know, you were there and you could tell some things about yourself, but it was limited. And and as we look at the Lord now and and life after death, we're looking in in a glass darkly. We see some things that God has revealed to us, but we can't see it all. We can't grasp it all. But but there's going to come a time, you see, when that veil is going to be lifted, when we're going to see face to face. We're going to know Him like He knows us. And it's an incredible thought that just boggles the mind. Right now, I'm absent from the Lord, from home. But time's coming when I am going to be present with the Lord and with him at home. Johnny Erickson Tata tells about um, something that happened at the end of a five-day retreat for families with disabilities. And um, there was a, they were at the end of this uh, retreat, they were having a, a testimonial time. And they were passing around a microphone so that people could share uh, about, you know, how, how meaningful that weekend or that week with uh, there had been to them. And there was a little uh, red-headed, freckle-faced boy by the name of Jeff. He had Down syndrome. And he had won the hearts of, of everybody there. And he just had delighted everybody all week with his wit and the things that he would say. And so they were just, they were looking, anticipating to hear what Jeff was going to say when the, when the microphone came around to him. Well, when it came to, to Jeff, he grabbed that microphone and everybody was just waiting with anticipation. And Jeff says, let's go home. <laughs> Five days there. Great. Let's go home. And you see, sometimes that's the way we as believers feel. Yeah, this world, this life here on earth may have been great, but it's time, let's go home. There's something in us that wants to go home. But you know what? There's that struggle, isn't there? There's a struggle with, with going home. In fact, you know, Paul oftentimes would, would struggle with that. In fact, he says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, he says, for, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I am to live on in the flesh, then this will mean fruitful labor for me. And I do not know which to choose, but I am hard-pressed from both sides, both directions, having this desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is much better. Paul struggled with this idea of, of absence and presence. I recognize that while I'm here on this earth, that God is using me, that I'm, that He's accomplishing things, and I have my own attachments to people and things in this world, things that I value. Yet I know within my heart that there's something far better for me to be with Christ. It's actually gain when I go on. All of us, we, we struggle with that. that that's that's going to be a, a struggle for us always. Yes, we, you know, it's like the, the preacher says, how many of y'all want to go to heaven? And nobody raised their hand. You know, and he says, nobody, no, y'all want to go to heaven when you die? And somebody said in front, said, oh, when we die, I thought you were talking about you're getting up a group for today. You know, we don't want to go today, do we? We have that struggle in our hearts. The people that we love, the people that we care about, 
And yet, and the work of the ministry. But yet, really, we know ultimately our life is not here. Our citizenship is not here. Our citizenship is in heaven. That's our ultimate life. See, no matter how good life is, and life can be good, or no matter how difficult life can be, life can be difficult, can it? This life is not our ultimate home. This is not our ultimate goal. We are headed for eternity with Christ. Immortal and eternal. The movie, The End of the Spear, tells the story of five missionaries that were trying to reach the Hudani Indian tribe in Ecuador in the 1950s. And they were in a hurry to try to reach these people because they were, the, the Hutani people were, were dying off from intertribal warfare and for, from these uh, serious revenge killings. And Nate Saint is the one who is leading them, uh, this group of, of missionaries, and they're preparing in this movie to, to go to, this, to the jungle. They have to land on, a, on a, a sand strip on the side of a river to get into the dense jungles where these people are. And the family is gathered around. They're all hugging and kissing and saying goodbye. And, and Nate's oldest son, Steve, is standing there, and, he, and, he's, and he's, he's, as, uh, he's hugging his wife. He looks over and sees by the gear of the plane a rifle. And he said, Dad, if the Hudani attack you, Will you, will you defend yourselves? And he said, no, son. He said, Dad, you, 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 would, you wouldn't shoot the Houdani for, to, to protect yourself? And he said, son, the Houdani are not ready for eternity. We are. There are two groups of people in this room today. There are people who are ready for eternity. And there are people who are not ready for eternity. And you know, you can get ready. And you do that by trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior. He is the hope of all that we have talked about. He is the means of all that we have talked about today and you simply call upon him in faith and you say to him I know I'm a sinner and I want to ask you to forgive me of my sin I want to yield my life to you and I trust you to give me this life and I believe that I will have life after life that's what you say to him if you're a Christian What do you do? Let me remind you of the last verse of our text. Therefore, we also have as our ambition, whether at home or present, to be pleasing to him. Are you pleasing to him? Is the life that you have now, this eternal life that you have, are you living in in a way that will be pleasing to him? That's a decision, choice that we all have to make regularly. How we live. 
So I call upon you as believers, live in a way that would please him. I call upon you, if you've not trusted him, to trust Christ. Let me, let me ask you to bow your heads and to close your eyes in this moment. Father, we come into your presence and we call upon the power of your spirit to work in our hearts this morning. And Father, I ask you, I ask you right now, for those who have not trusted you, you know that person, you know those people, who they are. I ask you, Lord, that you would give them the grace and the faith to believe in you. If that's you, would you say to the Lord right now in your heart, Lord, I need you. I want eternal life. As best as I know how, I, I turn from choosing life on my own terms, going my own way, and I want to follow you as best as I can. I believe you died in my place. I believe that you overcame death. That's just the heart of what you're saying to God. Forgive me and save me. Give me eternal life. And Christian, maybe you need to say to God, Lord, I I need to be pleasing to you. Pleasing you has not been my main ambition. I, I've, I've kind of wandered away and, and pleasing myself, if I'm honest, has become my main ambition. I've just kind of tacked you on to the end of my life. Help me now. Help me now. I know I have real life, eternal life. And I want, this is what really matters now. It's going to impact my eternity, and I want to be faithful to you. That's your heart to God. Maybe there are people here today that you need to be baptized. You say, I believe, but I've never, you know, let it be known publicly. Maybe you need to do that. Maybe you need to come and say, I need to be baptized. Maybe you need to become a part of the family of God here. Maybe you need to join and become a part of the family of God at this this church. You need to do that here in just this moment. Father, help us now to respond to you the way we should. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand?